We are in Revelation chapter 3. If you haven't turned there yet, we're going to be at verse 14. And we are on the last letter to the seven churches. So we've gone through six. We've heard a lot of things. It's kind of a building from one to the next. And this is the conclusion. So we're going to talk about Laodicea. Notice there's no review in your notes today. It's because we've got to spend our time talking about Laodicea before we even read the passage in order to understand what's being said here. So go to your notes. Let's talk about Laodicea. You can see on the map where it's at. That is uh, kind of a reference. Glance up there every once in a while, and, and it'll, it'll help you in the way. Let's start with number one, though. Laodicea was a wealthy city. And when I say wealthy city, they weren't just well off. They were wealthy. They were Bel Air, not Los Angeles. Okay, they were, they had it all going for them. Here's how they made their money. A in your notes. They produced black wool that was softer, stronger, and darker than anywhere else. They've never figured out if they had a breeding program that produced the wool or if there was some mineral or something in the climate of their area that produced the wool, but it, it didn't work other places. And so they had the corner on the market for black wool, and that was a pretty uh, hot commodity in the day. And they sold it all over the known world, and they became quite wealthy selling this wool. When you're the only one that has it, you can set your price. So part of their wealth was because of the black wool. Another part of their wealth is, is B in your notes, medicinal cream. Apparently there was a, a rock or a mineral substance in their area that they could grind into a powder and then form into a cream, and they sold it as the cure-all for any eye ailment or any ear ailment. Now, I don't know whether it worked or not. There's no real records of whether it worked or not, but they sold a lot of it, so they at least convinced people it worked. And, and they would sell it all over the known world again, and they were the only place it could be produced, so they gained a lot of wealth in the medicinal market. So they had the black wool, and they had the, the medical cream, and the income that was created by both of these created a need for a banking system, and they created a banking system. So they were the financial center of their part of the world. So they were big into the world, big into the medicine, and big into the banking. How rich were they? Well, in 17 AD, there was a massive earthquake, hit the entire area, and, and almost... Every city had major damage, and Laodicea was not a, an exception. They were, they were actually got it worse than most, and the whole place was ruined. Rome came in, and this was obviously an important city to Rome. It was the turnaround on their trading route. And they said, well, we'll help you rebuild. The Laodiceans said, no thanks. We don't need your money. We'll do it ourselves. So when the city as a whole turned down, turns down the government money to rebuild their city after an earthquake, that tells you who they are. tells you a lot about them. So they were a very wealthy city. Number two, the other unusual thing about Laodicea was that it was not located near fresh water. That was a, a major factor in where you located your city was being near fresh water. And, and they're not near fresh water. They're several miles from the river. And the reason being is that they were located where their wealth was. The, the sheep produced the blackest wool in Laodicea. The rocks they needed to make the 
supreme was in Laodicea, so that's where they were located. All right? Number three, you need to know about the city to the north, Hierapolis. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but you get the idea. They were famous for hot springs. So you have Laodicea, they're very wealthy. To the north you have Hierapolis, and, and they are also pretty well off because they have these hot springs. And, and there were just a couple of hot springs. You know, uh, where I grew up, there was a, a hot spring, and it produced a little bit of stinky water. And it was pretty obvious you didn't want to hang out there. But this was a little different. These, this was massive hot springs, where every, everyone there had their own hot spring. It was, everything was built around it. And so they considered it medicinal. If you had arthritis... If you had some other kind of joint pain, if your stomach was upset, if you had a headache, if your muscles were sore, you'd go soak it in the hot springs. And, and they played it up just like the eye cream from Laodicea. Come here, we'll, this, this magic water will solve all your problems. And they made an industry out of their hot springs. It was medicinal. It was hot and soothing. They were also luxurious and impressive. Almost every home had an indoor hot spring, a private hot spring that they took advantage of. And then there were outdoor public baths where the uh, tourists would come. So this was a, a city that was famous for their hot springs. Now Colossae to the east was famous for their cold streams of fresh water. All right, they were located about uh, at the foothills of a 9,000 foot mountain, Mount Cadmus. And it was a snow-capped mountain all year round. And hundreds of creeks and streams flowed into the valley, and, and uh, many of them were right there at Colossae. So they had the freshest, coolest, tastiest water of anybody. So Heropolis had the hot springs. Colossae had the cold, fresh, tasty water. Laodicea was known for, this is number five in your notes, known for nauseating water. And if you can't spell nauseating, write the word repulsive. And if you don't like repulsive, just write the word nasty. Because that, that describes it. Their water was nasty. No one drank the water that came from Laodicea. It was, a, it was really a mixture of the other waters. So it still had quite a bit of mineral content from Heropolis, but it wasn't hot anymore. It wasn't, it wasn't medicinal. It wasn't soothing. It wasn't anything but smelly and stinky. So they actually brought water in from fresher sources. They, they had an aqueduct system. But the aqueduct had to be so long because there weren't near water and it was a gravity-fed system that by the time the water got to them, it was lukewarm. It was never cold. It was never hot. It was lukewarm. So their best water was lukewarm which neither had the appeal of the hot water up north or the cold water to the east. And, and all that comes into play when we read this passage. You know, I remember in the good old days when we thought, well, you either need to be hot on fire for Christ or cold, completely against Christ. God would rather have you one of those two. He doesn't want you in the middle. Well, that's not what this passage talks about, so we need to set that aside. And we need to think about the context of the people reading the letter. When they read the letter and they heard about hot and cold and lukewarm and, and spewing out of the mouth, they got the illustration right off the bat, very first try. 
So, summary of Laodicea. Laodicea was self-confident, self-sufficient, self-sustaining, and self-indulged. They were wealthy, influential, influential, impressive, and enviable. The church in Laodicea wasn't doing anything bad, but they really weren't doing anything good either. The city wasn't doing anything bad, and the city wasn't doing anything good. The city was just there reaping the rewards of how lucky they were to settle in Laodicea with the wool and the medicine and the banking. And they had no problem taking care of themselves or buying whatever they needed, building the aqueduct to, to bring the water in. They, they were just there doing their thing. And, and the church was pretty much the same. So now let's read about the church in Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now again, I've said this all six times so far. I'm going to say it today for the seventh church. What's really being communicated here, first and foremost, is that this is John's paper and it's John's pen, but these are the words of Jesus. And so when these people read the letter, when they read the letter to their church, they need to hear, I am God, and I am saying this to you. Okay, the words of the Amen, the final authority, faithful and true witness, ruler of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your deeds. And we know that phrase can be good or bad. Sometimes the deeds were good and they got praised. Sometimes the deeds were bad and they got warned. So he says, I know your deeds. And this is new, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know what you think, but if God wrote you a letter and said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, you probably wouldn't go, cool. You'd be like, well, why? And you'd go back and you'd read, I know your deeds. Okay, you know about us. Okay, you're, you're God. You know. You're neither hot nor cold, cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. What's he talking about? Well, cold and hot are water. That's, our, that's where we talk about hot and cold. The water up north is, is soothing and medicinal and makes people feel better and helps solve their problems. The water to the east is refreshing and life-giving and and regenerating, and our water is lukewarm, and at best, it's just here to sustain us. I mean, we drink it because we have to. There's no pleasure in it. We don't get much from it. We just stay alive because of it. So how does that, how does that translate? I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Well, he goes on, verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, which is, was true. They were rich. They had acquired wealth, and they were still acquiring it, and they didn't need anything. But God said, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Even though they had the best wool, they were naked. Even though they had the eye cream, they were blind. Even though they were wealthy, they were wretched and pitiful. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire. So that you become rich. This is the kind of rich you need to be. 
buy gold from me, refined in the fire. And, and white clothes to wear, not your black wool that you sell, buy white clothes representing purity and holiness so you can cover your shameful nakedness and, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He's comparing the earthly treasures and, and worldly success to spiritual treasures and spiritual success. And he's, what he's saying is, I, I know you've got it all as far as the world's concerned. I know you, you don't have any needs physically, but you have needs spiritually, and you don't have the spiritual treasure. You're lacking what I have to offer, even though you have everything the world has to offer. Verse 19, those, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, which is a great thing. This is what you want to hear, because he just told them, you know, you guys are basically worthless. He, I literally, he just said, you guys are worthless. You're, you're not hot, and you're not cold. You're not helping anyone like medicine. You're not, you're not energizing anyone like fresh water. You're, you're just in the middle. You're, you're, you're kind of worthless. You're alive, but that's it. He says, but those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Says, I'm telling you this because I love you. What kind of discipline is this? This is the first level. It's, I'm telling you what's wrong. If you love your kids, and they're about to do something wrong, you give them a warning. If they're, they're not going to succeed, hey, I, I know you got that science project. It's due in two weeks. You haven't worked on it for four weeks. It's likely you're going to need all of the two weeks. So how about you work on it? That's the first level of discipline. This is what Jesus is doing. He says, you guys, you're not doing a bunch of bad stuff. But you're just not doing anything worthwhile either. So I'm giving you a rebuke. I'm giving you a warning. And, and I'm doing this because I love you. So be earnest and repent. Be, be real. Uh, take to heart what I'm saying and repent. Change your ways. Verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Eating implies relationship. He says, I'm right here where you are. I, I'm just on the other side of the door. I'm right here where you are. I, I'd love to come in. I'd love to have a relationship with you. I'd love to work with you. I'd love to help you grow. I, I'd love to teach you. And all you got to do is extend, extend the invitation. Open the door. Let me in. So he's saying, you're not, you're not doing a bunch of bad stuff, but you're not doing any good stuff. You're basically uh, just, just taking up space. I'd really like you to get on board. I'd like you to be either hot or cold. That's how you relate to the world, medicinally or refreshingly. I want you to get on board, and I'm here to help. And all you got to do is let me in. I'm right here to help. Verse 21. To the one who is victorious, to the true believer, to the... The one who's truly saved, I will get the right, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father in his throne. He says, if you if you're a true believer, you will experience the victory, just like I will. And, and, and you will receive some of the glory from that, just like I will. Verse 22, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Really? He said, pay attention. Just pay attention. Don't, don't take lightly what I've said. So I hope you heard some of the context, how it plays in there. Let's go to our notes. Let's, let's talk about some of this again, perhaps. Number one, Jesus introduces himself as A, the Amen. He is the final authority. 
Really what he's saying is, hey, when I say you're not doing anything worthwhile, it's because you're not doing anything worthwhile. I'm the amen. I'm the final authority. I get the final word. And what I'm telling you as the authority is I'm not happy with what you're doing. You're not, you're not doing anything bad, but you're not doing anything good. You're just existing. You're just taking up space. You're using breath. I'd like you to become as refreshing as the hot springs or as revitalizing as the cold water. Think of you when you travel to the hot springs and how it's like medicine and how it's soothing and how you feel better and you have a better perspective and you're relaxed. Think of that. That's how I want you to be to unbelievers and to each other. Or I want you to be like you feel when you go to Colossae and you get a glass of that water fresh out of the creek. You bend right down and stick your face in there and you, and you get a big drink and how it feels good going all the way down and it's life-giving and it's refreshing. He says, I'm, I'm the amen. What I say is it. And I'm telling you, you're not doing anybody any good. I'd rather you were like this, hot or cold. He says he's the faithful and true witness, which means he tells it like it is. He's honest, and he's real. God will always be real with you. The scripture is real. It doesn't pull punches. And, and Jesus said, I'm going I'm to tell you how it is, and this is how it is. It says he's a ruler of God's creation, which means he's in charge right here on earth. He calls the shots. Number two, he says their deeds were neither hot nor cold. Okay, again, just repeating this, they were not medicinal, soothing, or restoring to those around them. They were not refreshing, life-giving, or tasteful either. Okay, C, they were not attracting unbelievers to God in any way. D, they were just there. They were not making a difference. They were a church that made no difference. And I dare say, you could probably think of a church that you're aware of that's not making a difference at all. You could probably think of a, a group of believers that's they're neither hot nor cold. They're just existing. They're not attracting unbelievers to God in any way. They're just taking up space and they're not making a difference. E specifically and particularly for this church, and maybe for some of those, instead of exercising faith in times of trouble, and by the way, we're in times of trouble at all times. We're always in, in some time of trouble spiritually because of what's going on around us. Instead of exercising faith in times of trouble, they were comfortable. And that's the word I want you to take from today. We've talked about compromise, We've talked about false teachers. We've talked about leaving your first love or losing your first love. Today the warning is don't get comfortable. Don't be comfortable in your faith. Don't be comfortable as a church. Don't, don't get set in your ways and, and just happy with the status quo and not looking to do anything for God, but asking God just to maintain who you are. Comfortable churches become dead churches. Because comfortable churches in 30 or 40 years die away physically, and then they die away spiritually because there's no one left to carry on. 
I can name two churches in Kathlamet that wound up with six or eight people after a course of ministry who then had to shut their doors and get rid of their buildings because they no longer had a church. The church died. They were comfortable. They weren't trying to make a difference. They were just surviving. And that's a warning. Number three in your notes, they said they were rich, and that's wealthy by the world standards. God said they were poor, so they had physical riches on earth, but their treasures were not being stored in heaven. They were spiritually poor. They said they had no needs. God said they were wretched and pitiful. The wretched and the pitiful have needs. They, they need to be cared for. They need to be lifted up. Spiritually, they were wretched and pitiful. They produced high-quality wool clothing, but God said they were naked. Again, in need. They produced healing eye creams. Sorry for that typo there. But God said they were blind. So they said, we're great. Everything's awesome. We couldn't be better. This is a great situation. We're just wonderful. It's marvelous. We're so blessed. Just look at all the stuff we have. And God said, you're poor. You're wretched. You're pitiful. You're naked and you're blind. They were comfortable. And they didn't know they were suffering spiritually. Number four in your notes. God's instruction, what he told them to do, was to seek spiritual wealth, health, security, so that they become effective and begin to make a difference. Start seeking after heavenly treasures. Start, start working on my behalf. Start stepping into the uncomfortable to make a difference for others. You'll, you'll, you'll be effective when you start doing that. And then number five, God promises that in saying this, which is discipline, he did it because he, because he loved them. And if they seek him, he's ready for a close relationship. They did not have a close relationship with God, and the problem was they didn't recognize it. That they were, they were not truly following God much or very well, probably saved, but not doing anything with their salvation. And they didn't know God all that well. They needed this kick in the pants, if you will. So application for us, what are we supposed to learn from this? Well, number one, comfort is a commodity sold by Satan. Comfort is a commodity sold by Satan. And we all listen every once in a while. We all have that idea, because we hear it all the time, that if you say a lie loud enough and often enough, people will believe it. There's truth in that. We hear this lie so often that we start to think, if I, had, if I had new furniture, I think I'd be happier. If I had a newer, nicer car, I think I'd be happier. A bigger one, for sure, would make me happy. If I had more money in the bank, I'd feel more secure and I'd be happier. If I, if I this, if I that, if I got to travel here, if I got to experience this, if I got to do this, do that, I, I think I'd be happier. Comfort is a commodity sold by Satan. You know what? You know what Jesus sells? Well, well, Satan shows up and he says, "Hey, you know what? If you if you find comfort, you'll find happiness." This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. 
It's the Beatitudes. He said, blessed, which means happy. Okay, happy are the ones. Who are the happy ones? The poor in spirit. Those who mourn. The meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful. The pure in heart. The peacemakers. Those who are persecuted. And those who are insulted. Isn't that strange? Satan says you want to be happy. Work on your comfort. Build your kingdom here on earth. Jesus says you want to be happy. Disregard comfort on earth. And serve me well. And I'll give you joy that comes from the inside. I'll give you true happiness. Our comfort comes in the future. There'll be plenty of comfort in eternity, and there'll be plenty of comfort in heaven. Our calling right now is different. Number two, engagement is the command of our Savior. Jesus does not call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be engaging. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because I have the authority, here's my command, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've taught you. So we are to engage. We are to engage with the gospel, making disciples, sharing Christ, inviting people to church, having conversations about God, explaining what we believe and why we believe it. Baptize them. Help lead them into the, the first level of commitment. I, I am a believer, and I want everyone to know. So I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to give my public testimony. And I'm going to tell everyone I belong to Christ, and I'm going to live for Him. And then teach them. We're going to disciple. Help them grow so they know what to do. Comfort is sold by Satan. Engagement is sold by our Savior. And engagement is often uncomfortable. This church was very comfortable, and Jesus said, you're, you're, you're so comfortable, I just want to spit you out of my mouth. You're, you're like lukewarm water. You're not what I'm looking for. Number three, worldly success can become an addictive drug that numbs you to, the, to your need for God. Worldly success can become an addictive drug that numbs you to your need for God. These people had everything they could possibly want. They were the bankers of ancient Asia. They didn't need Rome's money. All they needed from Rome was to be left alone. And they had everything going for them. But they were spiritually poor, spiritually deficit. They were numb to knowing their need for a better relationship with God. That's a warning to us. You know, I read this and I kept thinking, wow, this is, this is kind of bad. What does this sound like? It sounds like America. We have all the riches. We don't have actual needs. I got up this morning and I chose one of eight or nine shirts that I wore to church on Sunday. Picked one of 30 ties. I know I wear the same four or five all the time, but I have more. I, I literally could choose the Bible I wanted to use this morning. I got in one of my two cars, walked out my automatic garage door opener. Thank you, Jason. I, I, 
left my newly mowed lawn, drove on a well-paved street, parked in a, an easy access location, came into the church, turned on the electricity, went to my office, used my computer. Um, I, I, there was no stress. I even had an alarm clock to tell me when to get up. I don't need it, but it's there. I, I, we are comfortable. The danger is that we allow comfort to make us think we're all good, and then we forget that God's calling us to engage. Why would I risk my comfort by engaging? Well, because that's what God's called me to do. That's where my true joy is going to come from. Number four, realize God did not condemn them for being wealthy. He condemned them for their apathy. He didn't say, get rid of your riches. He didn't say, oh, you terrible rich people. He didn't say, move out of Laodicea. You don't need their money. It's bad money. They, they actually earned their money. They worked hard for their money. He didn't say anything like that. What he said was, your apathy is getting in the way of me using you. So we got to be careful that we don't become apathetic. We, don't, we, don't, we can't have that, well, whatever happens, happens attitude. I found this very timely. I did not plan any of these sermons to go along with what we're trying to do as a church. And it may just be that because this is on my mind and on my prayer list that I see the parallels. But I see God giving instruction every, every time we study one of these churches. A warning to our church. Accommodation to our church. A challenge to our church. And another warning to our church. And a warning to all our churches. I'm, I'm going to let it sit right there. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to close, and I'm going to dismiss you. And I challenge you to make sure that comfort is not getting in the way of your service. Father God, thank you for these letters. Each one has been even more enlightening this time than last time I looked at them. Thank you for speaking right to us over a couple thousand years. Thank you for including this in the book of Revelation. And Lord, help us not to get so comfortable that we become apathetic and so comfortable that we don't see a need for you. I, I think it would be truly a bad thing if we had nothing to pray about. If there was no crisis or no illness. If, if we didn't have things to pray about, we'd forget how much we need you. So we can even thank you for the, the obstacles in life. But Lord, when you bless us, help us to see that blessing comes from you. And help us to use that blessing to serve you. Speak to our hearts. Speak to us throughout the week. Help us to make those adjustments we need to make to be the people of God that we need to be. Ask this in your son's name. Amen.